Chapter 13 The Sleepless Saint Please permit me to go to the Himalayas. I hope in unbroken solitude to achieve continuous divine communion. How many of us have at least thought those words in our mind before? I actually once addressed these ungrateful words to my master. Seized by one of those unpredictable delusions which occasionally assail the devotee, I felt a growing impatience with hermitage duties and college studies. A feebly extenuating circumstance is that my proposal was made when I had been only six months with Sri Yukteswar. Not yet had I fully surveyed his towering stature. How many of us feel, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be the Himalayas, although many of us have that kind of uh, romantic dream that one day we'll go to the mountains and we'll meet some sort of, uh, we'll meet Babaji in most cases, and that'll be that. He'll accept us into his fold and we will then be Danda Dera Uthao with him everywhere we go. Or if nothing else, that somehow away from all my responsibilities, away from, uh, you know, Maya, uh, away in solitude, I will then finally be able to uh, give myself completely to my sadhanas and my spiritual search. So, I mean, we've all had those thoughts. Not many of us um, have both the courage or even <laughs> the ability to actually put those thoughts into action. Maybe it's worthwhile to put them into action, if nothing else to realize that uh, the Himalayas don't, <laughs> don't particularly, you know, naturally confer upon us some sort of magical properties. Yet at the same time, they do have a power, we have to admit that. But Yoganandaji here then says that he ac I actually addressed these ungrateful words to my master and he obviously later on realized what he was saying and this is what we are saying essentially every time we even have a thought or we affirm this idea that where I am is wrong and uh, the path that I have is not going to give me what I'm looking for you know and it's usually subconscious it's not even that you're thinking about it that consciously just as Yogananda here didn't even realize what he was saying but it's like somewhere else, um, under different circumstances, is where my self-realization is going to come from. And he felt, as he said, a growing impatience with hermitage duties, with college studies. And we can substitute that for any n number of things. Our responsibilities at home, the pressures, the stress, work. You know whatever you want to call it like okay you know and it's monotonous i'm getting bored and any anything we've not experienced can easily become this really romantic idea and so just because we've actually never been to the himalayas where we've ha had to do this we create around it so much uh, fluff that in our minds it starts looking like wow over there i would just be so deeply committed to the spiritual path if only and of course then he says here a, kind, a little justification on our guru's part says i'd actually only been with sri yukteswar for six months so you know that's my little bit of 
that why I might have felt this way. You know, I had yet to even fully receive. And that's the other part of it. Most of us are yet to fully receive. Even on the path of Kriya Yoga, we've just barely skimmed the surface of Hongso and we're like, what's next? You know, when am I getting Kriya? And why is this taking so long? And that's, you know, that's the restlessness that all human beings have, but especially on the spiritual path, it also sets in in this particular way. We've not even yet gone deep. We've not even achieved uh, even a little bit of the breathless state that Hongso is waiting to give us. And we're already ready to see, you know, what's next, because we just want to, it's more, sometimes our lives are more just checklists than actually saying, I'm going to take this one thing and I'm just going to go deep into it. Like somebody who's become a pianist, a master. They're just, you know, they're not like, oh, I've done the piano, let me learn the guitar now, let me learn this. Just in one instrument. And they know, even after they become masters, you will you will hear them say, I've yet to kind of discover all the secrets of the piano. And that's how we need to feel about our path, about our guru, about our techniques and practices, including our responsibility has yet to go deep in my work. I've yet to go deep in all my relationships. I've yet to become a perfect father, a perfect mother, a perfect whatever. And in there, you'll find all the growth, all the realization you need. Many hillmen live in the Himalayas, yet possess no God perception. My guru's answer came slowly and simply. Wisdom is better sought from a man of realization than from an inert mountain. Ignoring master's plain hint that he and not a hill was my teacher, I repeated my plea. And I took his silence for consent, <laughs> a precarious interpretation readily accepted at one's convenience. Of course, we see here again Shri a particular side of Sri Yukteswar because we've heard so much in the last two ch in the last chapter, just how direct Sri Yukteswar was. You know, he just he wasn't uh, he didn't mince his words. He didn't mind hurting you. He didn't mind kind of decapitating you sometimes if need be. But if ever you expressed doubt, like right here, where Yogananda is expressing not doubt on the most uh, outward form but this that maybe master you don't have what I need and I need it somewhere else in that very moment he would become just silent childlike not imposing even a little bit of his will because as any guru knows it just doesn't work you can you, he could have easily told Yogananda right here and say you know what this is not for you so don't go there. And Yogananda would have probably said, oh, okay, you know, he's telling me it's not for me. But inside him would remain that seed or that need for that experience to manifest. And one way or the other, it would draw him out again. And so the Guru holds as silently and as subtly a thought as he can. And he transmits that to us. And it depends on our ability to receive or not to receive that even proves to us our own attunement. And Yogananda of his own accord here is already claiming, I was not yet fully attuned to my guru. I had been with him only six months. But that's how truly a guru will work. All of us um, who again romantically fantasize having someone like Sri Yukteswar or anybody 
in the body to guide us. Here it is. He could have guided uh, Yogananda right here, right then, told him exactly what he should have done, but they don't and they never will. I was thinking the desires that we develop, you know, over incarnations and become so strong that there is no other option but the need to fulfillment really takes us for a little while off track. Uh, it takes us away from our Guru and it has the potential to really um, um, not allow us to see what God is already giving us. I mean, we can see right now what's about to happen. That desire made leave Yogananda from his Guru's ashram. And Sri Yudhiswar knew that this desire had to be fulfilled and he couldn't prevent from this fulfillment. He, he couldn't stop that from Yogananda. And he allowed that to happen, knowing that eventually Yogananda himself would come with that realization. And this is a fascinating aspect of how the Guru works with each one of us. Because once um, Swami Kriyananda asked Yogananda, it was a very philosophical question and related about that, our own desires. And uh, Yoga, uh, Swami Kriyananda asked Yogananda, but Master, are all our desires, um, do they need to be fulfilled? And Master say, yes, all our desires need to be fulfilled in order to be free in a lifetime. And uh, Swami Kriyananda replied, really, even the desire of an ice cream cone? I mean, do I need to fulfill that? And Master say, oh, yes. So I can see here that Yogananda's desire was so strong and we should be careful with our own desires because they have the potential to um, make a break and make a little, <laughs> you know, it's so many stopped, breaks have come. So many breaks on the path. But anyway, this, this paragraph is just, just fascinating because that desire really mm, blinded for a little bit uh, uh, Yogananda's sight. And that final line of this paragraph is also just very telling. I took his silence for consent, a precarious interpretation readily accepted at one's convenience. We've told several stories how even Swamiji would often, when somebody would come to him, you know, he'd be silent or he'd kind of go in another direction, not yet ready to tell somebody and also wanting somebody to arrive at their own conclusions. and. Mostly everybody leaving thinking that, oh, you know, Swamiji was all for the idea and all for this particular decision that I have made. And the same is true also of our own intuition. You know, we ask for these, uh, help me, guide me. Of course, we have a very strong bias, just as uh, Yogananda here had a very strong bias. He wanted to go to the Himalayas. And so in our own inner conversations with God and Guru, we, we have this heavily biased thought. 
no clear indication comes and so we kind of assume that ah because i'm feeling this way it has Must to be, be of yeah. course why else would they give me this thought if they don't want me to go for it completely so just another little step of checking a couple more times had yogananda perhaps asked even once more perhaps his guru would be more willing to give him the answer because he would see that despite his bias he came again to ask he came again to check and so it's a nice little message for us check more times than uh, is needed just to see and so even prove to god that yes even though i'm biased this is perhaps what i want but i'm still willing to come back to you again and again because somewhere inside me there's a greater desire to be more in tune with you especially when we get a little bit restless in our own impatience 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 because you know we want to know answers we want to grow spiritually faster we want to do this we want to do that and this really creates a restlessness mm. on the path that mm, you obscures. know obscures yes obscures our own understanding so ashurja was saying let's keep double checking on those things because they can really mm, yeah obscure our discrimination and so thinking that his guru has given him permission yogananda heads back home he's packing his uh things ready for his you know his second attempt <laughs> at his flight to the himalayas but he says here the first time which is the previously when he went and he was caught on the train my spiritual elation had been high tonight conscience smote heavily at the thought of leaving my guru and so he already started to feel his fortunately his sincerity and his attunement and of course in yogananda's case there's a whole other reality to it but he's trying his best really to to give us the full human experience here and he could feel and we too can feel when we start going in a direction that's not appropriate but sometimes our desire is just stronger than that feeling but here yogananda becomes aware that there's something's not right and so what does he do when when he feels something's not right what do we do we seek validation elsewhere and so yogananda as a the smart boy that he is he seeks seeks out uh, this gentleman named bihari pandit who was a sanskrit professor of his not the one who would come to his house but at the college that he studied and he says sir you have told me of your friendship with a great disciple of lahri mahashaya please give me his address <clears throat> you mean ram gopal mazumdar i call him the sleepless saint he is always awake in an ecstatic consciousness his home is at ranbajpur near tarakeshwar i thanked the pandit and entrained immediately for tarakeshwar i hoped to silence my misgivings by ringing a sanction from the sleepless saint to engage myself in lonely himalayan meditation bihari's friend i heard had received illumination after many years of kriya yoga practice in isolated caves another one of our classic you know <laughs> tendencies if i don't get the answer i'm looking for from somebody 
I'm going to go seek it from somebody else. And especially here, he's like, this guy, you know, he was always in isolated cave. So if I go ask him, he's definitely going to sanction this desire of mine. In Ananda, we have this uh, kind of a, a little bit of a, a joke sometimes that, uh, especially in our communities where we have a lot of Naya Swamis, a lot of the Acharyas, a lot of our teachers all living together. And sometimes there'll be this one person who kind of goes to one per to one of the teachers, asks them a question, does not get their suitable answer, goes to the next teacher, asks, and even within the community, it, everybody realizes that he's or he or she or whoever has gone and pretty much asked everybody the same question, hoping that somebody would essentially tell him that your desire or whatever you think is one hundred percent true, and it's the same for us in life. We're looking for, we're really almost always looking for validation of our own thoughts, of our own desires, of our own ideas. And um, it's not easy to swallow sometimes to think that perhaps I don't know what I'm doing. And so Yogananda, as naturally as we would, thought, okay, at least he's, he's you know, he picks it up a much higher notch. He says, I'm going to go to another self-realized master. I'm going to get it from that guy, you know. Just in case my guru was not fully up and up, you know, on the complete up and up with me, I'm going to get it from somebody else. And sometimes we do that too. We want to go and visit other saints even with the hope that they would give us something that our guru, my own spiritual path, is not giving me. At Tarakeshwar, I approached a famous shrine. Hindus regard it with the same veneration that Catholics give to the Lord Sanctuary in France. Innumerable healing miracles have occurred at Tarakeshwar, including one for a member of my family. Now this is the family member relating. I sat in the temple there for a week, my eldest aunt once told me. Observing a complete fast, I prayed for the recovery of your uncle Sarad from a chronic malady. On the seventh day, I found a herb materialized in my hand. I made a brew from the leaves and gave it to your uncle. His disease vanished at once and has never reappeared. These are the little stories that make us feel like we're missing out on something. I have not received any such miracle. But I don't know if we've ever even prayed and kind of uh, connected with the divine perhaps in the way that she was in that very moment so before you dismiss these miracles as unique to certain individuals um, ask yourself how deeply in fact have we ever uh, attempted to connect with god i entered the sacred tarakeshwar shrine the altar contains nothing but a round stone its circumference beginningless and endless, makes it aptly significant of the infinite. My own mood at the moment was so austere that I felt disinclined to bow before the stone symbol. God should be sought, I reflected, only within the soul. And so he leaves the temple and sets towards Ranbajpur. And he meets a person who he asks directions for. The person says, when you come to a crossroad, turn right and keep going. 
Obeying the directions, I wended my way alongside the banks of a canal. Darkness fell. The outskirts of the jungle village were alive with winking fireflies and the howls of nearby jackals. The moonlight was too faint to supply any reassurance. I stumbled on for two hours. Welcome clang of a cowbell. My repeated shouts eventually brought a peasant to my side. I am looking for Ram Gopal Babu. No such person lives in our village. And then when he asks, is this Ranbajpur? He says, Ranbajpur is very far from here. At the crossroad, you should have turned left, not right. My earlier informant, I thought sadly, was a distinct menace to travelers. And so Yogananda spends the night over there in this other little hamlet, other little village, says, sleep was inconsiderable that night. I prayed deeply to be directed to the secret yogi, Ram Gopal. At the first streaks of dawn, as the first streaks of dawn penetrated the fissures of a dark room, of my dark room, I set out for Ranbajpur. Crossing rough paddy fields, I trudged over sickled stumps of the prickly plant and mounds of dried clay. An occasionally met peasant would inform me invariably that my destination was only a crochet, which is two miles. In six hours, the sun travelled victoriously from horizon to meridian. But I began to feel that I would ever be distant from Ranbachpur by one crochet. So here he is going. Every person he meets says, Oh, it's just, you know, it's just there. It's just a crochet. It's just two miles from here. And no matter how, <laughs> how much closer he gets, it's always two miles. It's like the story of the, you know, on the donkey, they always put the, you know, this idea of the carrot and they just kind of suspend a stick before it. And the carrots just, no matter how much the donkey walks, how far he travels, the carrots always going to be this far. And so it is also in our own journeys. Our inner experiences are always just this far. The intuition that I need, the guidance that I need, always seems just this far. The steps I want to take, the success that I seek, the understanding that I seek always seems just this far. And you can see in this little story already that that little transgression that Yogananda made first from his guru, then from, of course, also not offering his um, pranams at that shrine, and that little by little, how we, these tiny decisions that we make that don't seem necessarily um, that big in the moment, they start ensuring that our goal is always just this far from us. You want to add anything? At mid-afternoon, my world was still an endless paddy field. Heat pouring from the avoidless sky was bringing me to near collapse. As a man approached at leisurely pace, I hardly dared utter my usual question, lest it summon the monotonous, just a crochet. The stranger halted beside me. Short and slight, he was physically unimpressive, save for an extraordinary pair of piercing dark eyes. I don't think so. 
but I don't want to stop now. Yeah. I was planning to leave Ranbajpur, but your purpose, this is the saint speaking now to Yogananda. I was planning to leave Ranbajpur, but your purpose was good, so I awaited you. Aren't you clever to think that unannounced you can pounce on me? That Professor Bihari had no right to give you my address. So already the saint knows exactly what's going on. And so Yogananda says, considering that introduction of myself would be mere verbosity in the presence of this master, I stood speechless and somewhat hurt at my reception. Tell me, where do you think God is? Uh, why he is within me and everywhere. I doubtlessly looked, at, looked as bewildered as I felt. All pervading, huh? The saint chuckled. Then why, young sir, did you fail to bow before the infinite in the stone symbol at the Tarakeshwar temple yesterday? Your pride caused you the punishment of being misdirected by the passerby who was not bothered by the fine distinctions of left and right. Today, too, you have had a fairly uncomfortable time of it. I agreed wholeheartedly, wonderstruck that an omniscient eye hid within the unremarkable body before me. Healing strength emanated from the yogi. I was instantly refreshed in the scorching field. It's nice that Yogananda mentions, especially from a physical perspective, that Ram Gopal Mazumdar was not, you know, remarkable in any outward form. Even here he wonders, you know, it's amazing how a person who you wouldn't otherwise kind of, you know, who wasn't dressed, didn't have any pomp or any uh, kind of retinue around him, just a simple guy, yet within him, of course, he held God's infinite power. Uh, which always, you know, every time I he read such things in many books, but also in the autobiography, you just realize that we don't know people at all. And there's so many people in our lives and so many people that we see, and there's just no way to judge or understand or comprehend their consciousness. Some of them may seem completely unassuming, but may hold within them such power, such deep spiritual awareness, such deep connection with the divine, and you and I would never ever know. So it helps always to kind of hold back any judgment, any, you know, thought, any criticism even in our mind to essentially wonder from an outward level who's who and who's a saint and who's not and who's better and who's worse. I really like here how immediately once the ego makes you um, behave proudly about something, you receive almost like an instant sanction for it. And in this case, uh, Yogananda was misguided. It was resolved very quickly, just in a couple of hours where he got lost for a little bit, but then he got his good karma redirected him immediately, only just a few hours later, to the presence of Ram Gopal Muzundar. Sometimes, unfortunately, our spiritual karma is not that 
strong and benefited that our pride, um, our ego takes us far from the spiritual path for many lifetimes. And even while having a guru, the ego, our spiritual pride, our judgments, our criticism towards others, our ignorance because we don't understand the path fully enough really uh, takes us away from that consciousness that we always want to be in. So I think it's going to be very important if we develop that humility that really keeps us safe on the path. So before we find ourselves with the instinct to judge, whether it is other religion, other path, other guru, other guru by, <laughs> other meditation technique, other kind of chanting and worship, a different prayer that is just not like ours. Let's all be careful because that criticism, that sense of my path is the best, my guru is the best, my way is the best, can really distort and, and take us to a completely different route and, and be lost for a little while until we find again the route that we suppose to walk. The devotee inclines to think that his path to God is the only way, just as Narayani was sharing with us. Yoga, through which divinity is found within, is doubtless the highest road, so Lahiri Mahashaya has told us. But discovering the Lord within, we soon perceive Him without. Holy shrines at Tarakeshwar and elsewhere are rightly venerated as nuclear centers of spiritual power. And as Narayani correctly said, this is true for all religions in all places. Any space where deep devotion has been kind of performed for centuries, any place a saint has lived, no matter what his tradition or inclination. Um, we've been to so many different countries and there's so many beautiful churches and shrines elsewhere that you enter and you know you're in the same vibration as when you're in Badrinath or when you're in the presence of uh, a saint or when you're in Yogananda's home in Garpa Road. And so we need to be aware, always open and aware that God's going to speak to us, through us, in so many different ways. And that even though we're firm and steady in our path, which is very important, this does not mean that uh, now I'm going to, you know, become this for this time and then I'm going to shift over to something else for some other time. It's just, I'm strong. I mean, that relationship to God first has to be strong. We're not beggars hoping someone will just throw some scraps at us if we, if we just kind of get to these spaces. No, we're, complete, we're children of God. We have that power within us. 
But then as we start to feel that power within us, we're more easily able to perceive it outside of ourselves. And then we're more easily able to perceive even people. And then we get drawn to the right people. And then we start being able to feel, ah, you know, behind this unassuming form lies great power. Young yogi, I see you are running away from your master. He has everything you need. You must return to him. Mountains cannot be your guru. Ram Gopal was repeating the same thought which Sri Yukteswar had expressed at our last meeting. Masters are under no cosmic compulsion to limit their residence. The Himalayas in India and Tibet have no monopoly on saints. What one does not trouble to find within will not be discovered by transporting the body hither and yon. As soon as the devotee is willing to go even to the ends of the earth for spiritual enlightenment, his guru appears nearby. How many of us have truly experienced that? Even though we may not be fully satisfied by you know the fact that, okay, we found our path, I have my guru now, I have such a wonderful relationship. You know, there's, as we were talking about in the beginning, there's still always spiritual restlessness that does kind of sometimes confuse us. But yet at the same time, we put out a call to God to say that we want to seek you, we want to know you, we want to merge with you. And he immediately responds. Something or the other happens just where you are, just in the next couple of days some message, some, you know, person says, hey, I'm going to go do this. And already, immediately, the guru finds you. Not because he suddenly hears, oh, you're there. He's been watching you. He's been waiting. I mean, he's like right there, waiting for that thought to finally enter that says, I want this. As long as I'm willing even to go to the ends of the world, then suddenly he says, you don't need to go anywhere. I've been with you always. Here, let me, I'll, I'll show you where right here in your current situation, in this present moment, I can wrap you in my aura. I can give you my love. I can give you my teachings. I can give you my techniques. Are you ready for it? And then even if we don't get it, then he doesn't give up. He will still keep sending messages and people and books until we really get it because once we have that desire and we put that call out into the universe sometimes that first call is not strong enough so the more we magnetize that uh, intention uh, the more obvious the guru will will make that happen for you and there are many people who want a guru and the guru kind of shows up in their lives and they cannot fully recognize it so the guru just keeps you know reminding <laughs> them about certain things but they just don't get it but the guru stays there for you because he heard that first call even if we said it in a whisper, even if you didn't know you were requesting that help, mm. but he heard that and he's already there. 
And from that moment on, I mean, that's the real blessing that from that moment, the journey really begins. So it doesn't always manifest outwardly by you taking a formal vow. But the Guru, even before you take that vow, is already there guiding your life. This is an important line to just repeat. What one does not trouble to find within will not be discovered by transporting the body hither and yon. Which means until and unless we don't first seek mm -hmm. God, our answers, our guidance from inside ourselves, try to awaken our own realization. No matter where we go, you can place yourself even in front of saints and you won't be able to receive anything from them. You can go to Tarakeshwar, you can go to Lourdes, you can go to Badrinath, you can go to every pilgrimage spot in the world and you will not receive. Yeah, you might receive a blessing here, some little superficial aspect of your life will be fixed. But it won't change your consciousness. It won't draw you closer to God in any tangible and real way. And so that's what the Guru also looks for. How much are you willing to actually do the work? And when he knows you're willing to do the work, then he comes in full force. Are you able to have a little room where you can close the door and be alone? Yes. I reflected that the saint descended from the general to the particular with a disconcerting speed. That is your cave. The yogi bestowed on me a gaze of illumination which I have never forgotten. That is your sacred mountain. That is where you will find the kingdom of God. So our question to you becomes, are you able to have a little room where you can close the door and be alone? And for most of us, the answer is yes. And if it's not all the time, we can always find time where we do have a little room and where we can be alone. Today, a group of us is, and you know, Narayani and I, of course, had this obligation, uh, which we're joyfully fulfilling. But today, a group of us uh, are going to take a day of as much of silence, of seclusion as we are able to. And, uh, you know, that's, that's our cave. That's the Himalayas. That's where God's going to come to us. And the same is true for you as well. And yes, we all have a cave, but how we are going to use that cave, which is another important point. Keep that place ready. Make of that spot your pilgrimage spot. And, and learn how to go within because inside you, me and everyone reside, resides mm -hmm. all the answers that we are really looking for. So yes, make of that room, of that place, your cave, your holy place and, and really go within. And, and you see, you may even you know, meet so many saints that they are still unknown to the world, but they are really running the world, the world behind the scenes. His simple words instantaneously banished my lifelong obsession for the Himalayas. And there it is, that little moment that had to happen 
Sri Yukteswar also knew in a certain sense that if Yogananda was not ready to attune to that silent, subtle message that Sri Yukteswar sent, then great. Just as remember that in the previous chapter, we had that other disciple who, who didn't heed Sri Yukteswar's words and Sri Yukteswar said, the world is still going to be his mm -hmm. guru. And for all of us, that's true. The world has to be, we have to learn through disappointments, we have to learn through rejections, we have to learn through fulfillments and the world has to still teach us things. And even while we have our guru, we're not able to always receive everything from him. And then we have to learn through getting lost, getting confused. But sooner or later, if our desire is true, if the seeking is real, the answers will come. Young sir, your divine thirst is laudable. I feel great love for you. How beautiful these words. After giving me sweetened lime juice and a piece of rock candy, he entered his patio and assumed the lotus position. In about four hours, I opened my meditative eyes and saw that the moonlit figure of the yogi was still motionless. So they're at his place now. He gives Yogananda just a little bit here, some nimbupani. And then he goes, sits to meditate. Four hours pass by, Yogananda's eyes are opening. He's looking, peeking through his own meditation to see, Chal kya raha hai? As I was sternly reminding my stomach that man does not live by bread alone, Ram Gopal approached me. I see you are famished. Food will be ready soon. Again, just here he is, this great yogi, not only a great yogi, in fact, an interesting thing about Ram Gopal Mazumdar is, um, Swami Kriyananda asked Paramahansa Yogananda years later when, as his disciple, that were all the saints in the autobiography of a yogi, Param Muks, like completely liberated, or were they Jivan Muks? So this is those saints that are, are completely united in God, but they still have um, some karma from their own past many lives that they are not really working out, but that they keep to use to come back and to help us. I mean, that karma means nothing to them. However, after doing that whole process, they also work out every shred of any karma, any compulsion, nothing is left for them. And they become what uh, the saints called Paramukt. Um, and then that's what makes them avatars after, once they've become Paramukhs, when they return again. Um, and so Swami Kriyananda asked Yogananda, were all the saints in the autobiography Paramukhs? And uh, Yogananda said, no, in fact, apart from our, the gurus of our lineage, only Ram Gopal Mazumdar and Swami yes. Pranamananda yeah, were Paramukhs, the saint with two bodies, if you remember. So, you know, we're not dealing with uh, even as a saint, we're dealing with somebody One of, of a, the highest. Yeah, absolute highest. And here he is meditating. And the moment he felt that thought of Yogananda feeling hungry, boom, got up, you know, immediately said, you must be famished. Food will be ready soon. Just unassuming, no non unnecessary fuss around, I am meditating or, okay, now I'm going to have to serve you. Just write. A fire was kindled under a clay oven. Rice and dal were quickly served on large banana leaves. My host courteously refused my aid in all co cooking chores. The guest is God, a Hindu proverb, 
has commanded devout observance from time immemorial. And then after they've eaten a little, the big question, perhaps we don't want to yet go into this big question. In fact, let's, let's wait a little bit. You want to read that? No, I just wanted to give a little bit more emphasis in this. Just a few words. Okay. The guest is God. Mm. I mean, here we are with this amazing self-realized master, which is not only providing spiritual knowledge and really an mm. everlasting blessing to Yogananda, but he's also bringing himself to the most practical level and serve outwardly, mm. physically to Yogananda in the simple way of cooking a meal for him. I mean, how moving is that? Where you are so humble and so aware of God's consciousness in every single person you are dealing with, you have in front of you, that your natural instinct is nothing but serve you and serve us. How many times God sends us people, situations where we know we should and we must serve and, and mm, offer our act, our little act of help to that person that God himself has sent to us. In this case, God sent Yogananda to Ram Gopal and, and he made sure that Yogananda was fed at all levels mm. and was taken, taken care of at all levels possible. I mean, to me, this shows how a saint is perfectly balanced and knows how to deal with both worlds that he's living in, God's consciousness united with everything, everything and yet fully grounded on the world fulfilling like the most mm, basic needs as hunger or thirst or the need to somebody else eat so I will make that food I will prepare that food I will chop those vegetables I will I mean just just picture this I mean these two great self-realized master not like just you know, I'm holier than thou and only talking about this level. They bring spirituality down and, and make it so real, so humble, so sweet, so powerful. I mean, this is a powerful exchange of energy. When Rangopal was perceiving Yogananda as his son, his children, someone that he needed to take care of at that level too i mean really beautiful beautiful well all right friends i think that's uh, a beautiful darshan that we've mm -hmm. had so far the next question is a big question that yogananda asks ram gopal mazumdar that we probably <laughs> have at least thought of in our minds and so we'll see what that is in our next class in the meantime if there's anything you've picked up from today's class, see if and find how you might apply that in this coming week. If nothing else, 
just mm-hmm. to serve humbly and there is nothing more beautiful on the spiritual path than that in fact reread mm. these last two pages because there is so much you know in every line that really i mean yesterday i read it twice and still i could feel that i couldn't even grasp half of it so if if you can just give your yourself the, the treat mm. to read these two pages once more and and you will be amazed how many more things uh, yogananda and ramgopal are trying to teach us all right everybody have a wonderful day god bless you all